Hello, and welcome to the library beneath the hidden staircase. The beauty of this library is no matter what librarian you have, the stories these old, tattered books contain are always worth the read. I am Kristen Seavey. Now don't be too scared down here. Just stay close to my flashlight and all will be well. Let's get into today's story. The power of dreams is what has kept humanity pushing forward. No matter what life throws our way, we keep a tight hold to our dreams until we make them a reality. Most of us would do almost anything to fulfill our heart's wildest desires. But what if the price to pay was the lives of others? Our story today tells us of the struggles of one woman's journey to America and the pain she inflicted upon others to stay here. They say misery loves company, and Belle Gunness kept quite a lot of company, but not for very long. She is known today as Hell's Belle, or Lady Bluebeard. Bell sits among the unnerving rank as one of the few female serial killers in America's history. She is known to have murdered at least 14 people, with some of the victims including her several husbands and even her own children. Bell was a professional and deadly insurance scam artist who stopped at nothing to get her payouts. Inspired by her older sister, when Bell turned 21, she immigrated to Chicago, Illinois from Norway in 1881. Driven by her hunger for wealth, she began working as a servant, a welcome relief from her younger days working as a farmhand. Bell was a tall and formidable woman, standing at just under six feet tall and weighing around 200 pounds. She was no stranger to manual labor. A few years after immigrating, Bell met and married her first husband in 1884, a man named Albert Sorensen, and the father of her first four children, Caroline, Axel, Myrtle, and Lucy. The young couple eventually decided to open a candy shop. It didn't matter how hard they worked, the shop wasn't flourishing as planned. So Bell concocted a new plan. But before they could sink further into debt, the store and their home mysteriously caught fire and burned down, resulting in the first insurance payout and successful scheme for Bell Gunness. After seeing how easy it was to get rich from scamming insurance, the gears started turning in Bell's devious mind. Shortly after moving into their new home, two of the couple's children became ill with acute colitis. Their symptoms included nausea, fever, diarrhea, lower abdominal pain, and cramping. Sadly, both children would die from their illnesses, and Bell quickly collected a hefty payout from their life insurance policies, all before anyone could realize that the children's symptoms were similar to those of being poisoned. In June of 1900, Bell still included the two deceased children as living at the home, as well as their newly adopted daughter, 10-year-old Jenny Olson, according to census records. Also, that summer, the couple decided to switch life insurance companies. Everything went according to plan, and their new policy would begin at the end of July. To ensure they wouldn't go without coverage, 
there was even a day when the two policies would overlap, July 30th. Unfortunately, that was also the day that Albert Sorensen would die from what would be determined as heart failure. Several doctors would suspect poisoning, but there wasn't enough evidence to support their theories. Desiring a fresh start, escaping questioning family members, or to fulfill a thought-out plan, Bell used the payout from the untimely demise of her husband, Albert, and bought a farm in a small town in Indiana called Laporte. Today, that payout would equal nearly a quarter of a million dollars. The farm was beautiful, with a few big barns, a beautiful surrounding landscape, and a lovely farmhouse even with a white picket fence. What should have been a fresh start for the new widow, her two remaining children, and her adopted daughter, quickly unfurled into nothing but a farm of death. While Belle was preparing for the move from Chicago, she met a recent fellow widower named Peter Gunnis. He also had two children, an infant daughter and an older daughter. He moved to the farm in Laporte with his daughters and married Belle on April 1st, 1902. Peter was also a native of Norway and a skilled butcher by trade and began working from the farm butchering pigs. Within just one week of getting married, Belle was babysitting her new infant stepdaughter. Sadly, due to unknown causes, the baby died alone at the farm with her. Several months later, in December of 1902, Belle claims Peter was in the kitchen and bumped into a shelf, knocking down a meat grinder from a higher shelf. The grinder fell and hit him in the head, killing him instantly. But one of her children began bragging at school that her mommy had hit her husband over the head with a cleaver, and an investigation was quickly put together. Belle Gunnis was known as an intimidating woman, not only for her tall stature and robust hourglass figure, but she was also often seen doing hard labor on her farm and would even wear men's clothing. Mix that with her intimidating personality and the police were none the wiser about her plans. However, due to lack of evidence, no charges were ever filed against her. Luckily for Peter's oldest and surviving daughter, she was taken by Peter's brother to live with them in Wisconsin. She would be the only child to survive living with the murderous widow. Peter wouldn't be out of her life completely, though. During the investigation into his death, Belle failed to mention that she was pregnant, even though it would have given her sympathy. In May of 1903, after she had convinced investigators of her innocence, Belle gave birth to a son named Philip, and the next few years seemed to be reasonably regular. It wasn't until 1906 that neighbors noticed that Belle's adopted daughter, Jenny Olson, wasn't around anymore. Always one with an excuse, Belle told them that she had sent Jenny to a Lutheran college in Los Angeles. Jenny's body would be later found buried on the property. No insurance was claimed on her, however. It would appear that Belle's bloodlust went from being money-driven into an addiction. 
Eventually, working on the farm became too much for Belle and her three living children, so she hired Ray Lamphere as a farmhand. Their relationship quickly turned into more than just business as Ray began to develop feelings for his new employer. Even after boasting that they had a physical relationship while drunk several times, Ray didn't have what Belle was searching for. Instead, she desired a man with substance, few family members, and a large fortune. After developing a new plan, Belle placed her first ads in the personal columns in several large Midwestern towns. It read as follows. Comely widow who owns a large farm in one of the finest districts in LaPorte County, Indiana, desires to make an acquaintance of a gentleman equally well provided, with a view of joining fortunes. No replies by letter are considered unless the sender is willing to follow answer with a personal visit. Triflers need not apply. The offer of a wealthy widow living on a beautiful farm was too good of a proposal to pass up. And soon, men were writing to Belle in droves. Neighbors began seeing her driving around town with multiple men of means. She was almost unrecognizable to them as she began to forego her usual men's clothing and now wore beautiful dresses and would have her hair fixed in the latest fashion. Her new plan was simple. She would lure wealthy men to her farm under the guise of marriage and joining fortunes, living happily ever after on her picturesque farm until death do they part. Then, she would have the men bring all or a significant portion of their fortunes with them to stay with her, often telling them that they needed to pay off her mortgage to solidify their commitment to her and make the farm officially theirs. Several men fell for her deceit, and came to visit with their pockets full of their life savings. Unfortunately, all of them would die within a week of arrival, except for one lucky man named George Anderson. During his visit to the farm, he awoke late one night to the startling sight of Belle standing over him with a wide-eyed and sinister look on her face. He yelled, and she quickly ran out of the room. While panicked, George grabbed his clothes and ran away from the farm for his life. He quickly boarded a train back to his home and never spoke to Belle again. That still didn't deter the suitors. Many men continued visiting the farm from the personal ads. The offer was just too good to pass up. During the time between visits, neighbors would notice that large trunks were being delivered to the farm. Even more strange, several claimed to have seen Belle digging in her hog pen late at night along with her faithful farmhand, Ray. He had fallen for Belle's lies and had become overwhelmingly infatuated with her. He grew tired of her having all of these men over, and his infatuation quickly turned into jealousy. Ray had done every horrible thing that Belle requested, and he felt he deserved her undivided love and attention. But, not wanting to give up her money-making scheme, 
She fired Ray in February of 1908. She even convinced local authorities to conduct a sanity hearing on him, which he passed. After that, she began going to the police, claiming that Ray was going to her farm and threatening her and her children. She also had him arrested for trespassing. A detective came and knocked on the door and I said, is it Renee? And he just gave me that solemn look. It was the worst day ever. The Proof Podcast is back with a new case and a new season. 23 years ago, 18-year-old Renee Ramos went missing. Her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town. I don't think that they arrested the right people. It's about time somebody's trying to do something. She had a black eye about two weeks before she was murdered. They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack. You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course. They're judging me now. They've been judging me damn near my whole life. You can listen now to season two of Proof wherever you get your podcasts. And follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask, did you kill Renee? American Criminal is a new true crime podcast from the studio behind American Scandal and American History Tellers. Every week, you'll fall deeper into the riveting stories of the country's most clever, craven, and cruel criminals. Fraud, theft, murder, and worse. Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the whole story until now. The debut season tackles one of the most sensational cases of the 20th century, the Menendez murders. In 1989, young Lyle and Eric Menendez brutally shot their own parents. Prosecutors and the press said it was a multi-million dollar inheritance that led two greedy rich kids to murder. But the picture-perfect facade this Hollywood family built hid troubling abuse. Could these teenagers have been driven to kill? Or was it even in self-defense? Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. During the unraveling of her relationship with Ray, Belle began receiving letters from several family members of the men she invited to her farm. All were inquiring about the whereabouts of their fathers, brothers, and sons. She even had the gumption to tell one of her victim's brothers that he was welcome to come there and that she would help him look, but that he needed to pay her for her efforts. For the others, she would say that they weren't at the farm then, or that she had never even seen them at all. Belle then made out a will with a lawyer in Laporte. She claimed that Ray was continuing his threats to the lives of her and her children, and even threatening to burn down her farm. Her new will would leave everything to her children due to her demise. Not long after, on the morning of April 28, 1908, the farmhouse was discovered to be nothing but a pile of smoldering ash. By the time help made it to the farm, there was nothing left but the bodies of three children and the headless remains of a woman. A neighbor claimed he saw Ray running away from the farm shortly before it caught fire and he was quickly arrested under charges of murder and arson. The remains of Bell's children were quickly identified, but the body of the woman found didn't add up. 
Belle was a tall, robust woman who weighed over 200 pounds. The body found in the ash was short and weighed less than 150 pounds. The identification came from a local dentist after dentures were found near the body. He recognized them as Bell's and concluded that it must be her. One of her victim's brothers arrived at the farm just days after the fire to search for his missing brother. He noticed that the men digging through the ash searching for Bell's missing head were finding men's watches, bones, and human teeth. Frantically, he began to explore the farm on his own, noticed the uneven ground in the hog pen, and began digging. As he dug deeper into the pen, he soon discovered the dismembered bodies of four men, one of which was identified as his missing brother. The local sheriff quickly assembled a team of over a dozen men, and the excavation of the hog pen began. During this, they found several more bodies, including the missing adopted daughter. Overall, 14 bodies were positively identified, but it's believed that over 40 could have been burned on the farm. Unfortunately, the remains had degraded past the capabilities of the limited forensic science of the time. On May 22, 1908, Ray Lamphere was tried for murder in Darson. He pled not guilty to all charges, his defense hinging on the assertion that the body was not Gunnis. Ray was found guilty of arson, but acquitted of murder in the end. On November 26, 1908, he was sentenced to 2 to 21 years in the state prison in Michigan City, Indiana. He died there of tuberculosis on December 30, 1909. A few weeks later, a reverend came forward with Lamphere's confession before he died. In a statement, he revealed the details of Gunnis's crimes and swore she was still alive. He also claimed to the reverend, as well as a fellow convict, that he had not murdered anyone, but he did help Bell bury many of her victims. He even claimed that he had helped Bell go to Chicago to retrieve a woman under the guise of being her new housekeeper on the farm. They then killed and decapitated her, and that was whose body was found in the ash. The plan that Bell told him was that she would smother her children, then she would meet him, and the two would run away together. Everything went to plan, aside from Bell fleeing without Ray. Belle Gunnis was never found or identified. Before her mysterious disappearance, she withdrew all but a small amount from all of her bank accounts. The body found was too small to be Belle, and Ray's deathbed confession claims that she survived the fire. There were several reports of people seeing her in the years after the fire, and even more conspiracies about her actual whereabouts. What truly happened to the heartless serial killer, Belle Gunnis? Did she perish in the fire with her remaining children? Or did she take her bloody fortune and escape into the night? One thing is for certain. Those who were unlucky enough to cross the path of Hell's Bell 
didn't live for very long after. 